Okay, everyone, welcome to my workshop. Thanks for coming. This is the workshop tips and tricks for the basic witch. All right, I can't wait to brew some awesome potions. Wow, this looks really whimsical. Well, we're not really doing potions today, but I can tell you some of the spells you're going to be learning. Oh, cool. I want to fly. Well, we're going to do more like how to get the pumpkin spice flavor in your oat milk latte. Pretty good. Oh, is it like with with spice? With, with like witchy spices? No. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, we're also going to learn today how to get the questionable stains out of your Beltane cape. Something everybody will need to know. Beltane cape? The, the cape you wear at Beltane, and that's all you wear. You know what I'm saying. What what happened to it? Yeah, why does it have stains? What happens at Beltane stays at Beltane. Uh, okay. Well, are we gonna learn to, like, turn our enemies into toads? Well, actually, one of the other cool spells we're going to learn is how to create decaf coffee. I'm not going to lie. This magic sounds pretty impractical to me. Okay, you know what? That's it. Oh, oh my goodness. You turned him into a frog. Ribbit. Well, upside, does anybody here need a new familiar? Crock. Hello, spooky fantasy fans, and welcome to Scares and Satire, the yearly special series from Swords and Satire, where we turn scary low fantasy into terrifying high art. Hype. <laughs> I'm your demonic dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my spooky co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a black cat who just wants to lay about in the sun. I don't worry about luck or bad luck. That's up to humans to worry about. Superstition's a motherfucker. I don't worry about that. I'm a cat. Makes sense. Every cat I know doesn't worry about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Congratulations on that carefree attitude. Me, myself. I've got a lot to worry about. My name is Jack Olander, and I'm a 90s dreamboat boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. Yes, unfortunately, in this context, that means I'm doomed, of course. You have a lot of uncomfortable times ahead of you. It was nice knowing you, though. Yeah, I had a lot of slow-mo shots in my life. That time you got to kiss your true love in the middle of the street in a very inappropriate way? It must have been worth it. Yeah, I'm sure those scenes will hold up. <laughs> Alright, guys. Well, as we all know, St. Spookentine's Day is just around the corner. Oh, boy. It's our favorite time of year. And every October... In honor of the greatest holiday of all time, Halloween slash Samhain, we transition from our usual fantasy movies and start watching 
scary or spooky or horrifying fantasy movies. Yeah. Or just ones with witches and vampires and ghosts and stuff. Fun. I'm pretty scared. I'm really sorry about how scared you are. I'm shitting my pants. (laughs) That I'm less surprised about. But you know what makes our show possible week to week, month to month, year to year, we can say now? Dracula's? That's a good option. Okay. Frankenstein's. But there's something else that I was thinking. Um... (laughs) Well, I am, of course, talking about our patrons. Oh, they're kind of like Frankensteins and Draculas and wolf people. In spirit. Yeah, like in a fun way. Yeah. Or like those uh, vampire werewolf hybrids, hybrids, hybrids from the Underworld series. Right. Sorry, vampire lichen hybrids. What was I thinking? Yeah, and they're amazing, as are all of our fans, but they are people who have decided to support us in a different way. They have the means, and they support us on patreon.com slash swords and satire. If they've got the means, I've got the memes. (laughs) That's what I say. And we thank them for their support uh, in our hearts, but also through exclusive art that we provide, like outtakes episodes and... Our rewriting history episodes, which are like our movie pitches. Ooh, those are super fun. Yeah. And our patrons get to vote on movies that we're going to watch each month. Movies? But we talk about movies on this show. You know, that's a good point. And um, so if you have the means and you're a fan of our show uh, or were your favorite podcasters, you know. (laughs) I mean, if you insist. (laughs) And so you could go to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become a patron and select one of the tiers. That sounds terrifyingly awesome. Yeah. Soup's cool. Well, I could sit here all day and talk about how much I love our patrons, but I think they would probably rather that we move on to the show at this point. Yeah. So why don't we jump into discussing this week's film, which is... Our witches film for the season, Practical Magic. Yeah. This was my pick. I love this movie. And I rewatch it almost every year. This is true. <laughs> and um, it's like one of my favorite pieces of amazing and beautiful witchy trash. And just for the record... Chelsea loves a lot of amazing and beautiful witchy trash. So for this to be one of her favorite pieces means it's very high up in the upper echelons. Yeah, that's true. I was very happy to be able to pick this and uh, have it uh, uh, featured on our show. All right. But before we start talking about the themes, let's discuss a little bit about the film. Practical Magic was directed by Griffin Dunn. It stars Sandra Bullock. Or Sandy, as I like to call her. (laughs) Nicole Kidman, Diane Wiest, (laughs) and Stockard Channing. It also features a young Evan Rachel Woods, star of um, our favorite television show, What We Do in the Shadows. And by star, I mean she appears in an episode as (laughs) a vampire version of herself. Yeah. Very memorable. Very seasonal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great cast. 
Yeah, I mean, we got some actors here. I mean, Kidman and um, Sandy. You know, Sandy Bullock went on to be a star of movies like Demolition Man. Or maybe she had already done Demolition Man. Hmm. And this movie came out in 98. So this is, the movie's 21 years old. Okay, so she had definitely already done Demolition Man. And the novel that the movie is um, based on um, is 25 years old now. That's older than Jack. (laughs) Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) My existence in this world has been very brief. All right, but enough about that. I think Chelsea has prepared a little summary for this film. That's true. Here we go. Okay, so the way I kind of think about this movie is that it's a pumpkin spice latte that has gained sentience and is has chosen to communicate with us in video form. I believe it also predates the concept of pumpkin spice lattes. But it has the essence of one. Oh, sure. You're saying that, like, the characters are spiritually wearing Ugg boots. Right, exactly. And, <laughs> and long sweaters over leggings. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see it. I'm going to have to double down on the snug sweater thing. In a metaphysical sense, this is a comfort sweater. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not to denigrate the film. I love this movie. but Nor is it to denigrate any of those things. Ugg boots are very comfortable. We literally just had pumpkin spice lattes before we started the show. Chelsea's wearing an orange flannel shirt that says... Stay spooky on it. Yeah, and I got that from Spirit today. So What we're saying is that the three of us are basic witches. Oh, yeah. That's why we had that workshop earlier. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm still coughing up flies. But so <laughs> this movie is about different sets of sisters that are living out the curse of their Owen family. Oh, brutal. And it's the curse of never, suck. It's the curse of never being able to it's not fall in love because they can fall in love, but it's more like they can never find happiness in love because it's like at some point the curse is gonna come for their loved one and cause some kind of accident to happen. Patriarchy, am I right? And the curse mm-hmm. <laughs> The curse was started by a settler ancestor of theirs. Named Maria Owens. And, um... She oh, what had... happened to her? Good good stuff, I assume. No. Oh, bummer. <laughs> she was uh, basically jilted and left with her unborn child uh, to fend for herself. And so she was so heartbroken and bitter that she cast a spell that she would never fall in love again and her bitterness turned it into a curse on her whole family line man i hate when that happens yeah i know so they're all all the generations afterward have to deal with this bummer so come this movie sisters jillian and sally just want to get away from magic jillian kind of just like runs away and tries to throw herself into relationship after relationship, 
trying to find somebody strong enough to withstand the curse. She's going on kind of a rock and roll road trip of a romance life. Yeah, it's true. Um, And that's certainly how the movie frames it. She's in love with a cowboy. (laughs) But like a bad cowboy. A cowboy vampire. Oh, wait, hold on. That sounds awesome. That's how she describes him. Wow. Uh... And Sally just wants to leave that whole magical life behind by trying to live a normal life with her husband and kids. Two daughters, by the way. Another set of sisters. Magic, uh, you know, runs in the matriline usually. So it makes sense. I thought you were going to say magic uh, finds a way. Oh, I like that too. (laughs) Whoa. And uh, unfortunately, Sally's husband meets with an accident Finds himself rolling into an untimely death. An apple-related accident, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. It's confusing because it all kind of happens off screen. Well, here's the thing. As we all know, in, when you're in a movie, you can't see what's off frame. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, avoiding these cyclists that are going to run him over. And nobody in the world, anywhere around him, sees... The truck barreling down the street, too, that just destroys him. It was off screen, Jamie. Of course they couldn't see it. That's that's my point. (laughs) Um, Nobody could see it coming. Right. So both Jillian and Sally are kind of meeting with some misfortunes because Jillian has found herself a boyfriend she thinks is strong, but he's also kind of dangerous and toxic. And she's also probably using a little bit of magic on him. Magic roofie to keep him from being toxic around her, I guess. That is actually exactly what happens, and we'll get more into that. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is not without its issues. Trigger warning. (laughs) So they find themselves back together again at their aunt's house where they grew up uh, with their aunts, Francis and Jet. I'm sorry. Let's just... Say what we want to say here with their badass aunts. They are the stars of the movie. If Francis and Jet are looking to adopt a new nephew, my application is ready to go. <laughs> I'll learn witchcraft too. I'm I'm down. Yeah. So long story short, Jillian runs into trouble with her boyfriend and gets Sally to come help her out through All of their struggles of trying to get away from him. He ends up dying twice. And they bury him in their backyard. And an investigator from Arizona comes to their house in Massachusetts following up on the disappearance of Jimmy Angelo, the ex-boyfriend. Yeah, I'm assuming that's how the law works. He's from out west. He's unpredictable. Yeah, he's a wild cowboy with... Two different colored eyes who likes to flip pancakes. And so... <laughs> Real wild card. <laughs> wow. During, during his investigation, he suspects pretty early on that Sally and Jillian probably did something to Jimmy. Uh, the, I, it probably has something to do with the fact that Sally is a complete basket case whenever she's around him. And they end up falling for each other, though. Uh, you Sally- know, like you do. Sally and the investigator who's named Gary Hallett. It's one of those will-they-won't-they murder investigations. In the end, Jillian is 
possessed by the evil spirit of Jimmy, Sally comes out as a witch to her community members and they get a coven of women to help extract him his spirit from Jillian. This scene is awesome. No notes. Yep. They have an awesome exorcism scene with all of the coven that they bring in. Communal exorcism. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And um, they basically send his soul to hell, I think, or the netherworld, whatever. Yeah, well, tomato, tomato. Not the netherworld. That's where Mordred is. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, Gary. Wait, this could exist in the same universe as Merlin, the return. Oh, boy. A disturbing thought. Gary and Sally end up together, and it seems like the community, while they were hostile towards the witchy family before, seems to accept them now that they are overt about it. Oh, <laughs> I, I just want to point out that um, on the Wikipedia search for this movie, one of the top results is, is practical magic based on a true story? And I certainly hope that the answer is yes. <laughs> Well, it is based on a novel, but I don't know. Every novel is based on a true story, right? That's how it works. All right. Well, that pretty much covers all the summary. I think we can probably head into The Haunting Delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of practical magic. And I wanted to start out by reading an excerpt from the introduction to the novel Practical Magic, um, an intro written by the author, Alice Hoffman. And there's a whole series of these books, and I went in hard, and I bought three of them today. There's a fourth one, so I'll get that later. (laughs) Here we go. In the world of practical magic, lilacs bloom overnight, the real and the magical overlap, and the Owens women have been witches for generations. So how is this any different than, like, our world? Mm, It's what our world could be if we just had a little faith and trust in the magic of our reality. Well said. Just think about that, would you? Just think about it. I'm going to. So this story is an attempt to unlock the secrets of the human heart. What price are we willing to pay for love? $5.99. How do we recognize and understand our truest selves? How does our past affect our present? Many of us know what it's like to try to escape a family legacy of one sort or another, only to discover that in the long run we, we carry our heritage with us no matter how far we might run. Whether we like it or not. You're Catholic for good. (laughs) That's what my mom told me. Oh, boy. (laughs) The Owens family is one in which the women will do anything for each other. They may argue, they may disagree, but they are fiercely devoted to one another. Aw. Witches are outsiders, and those among us who have been bullied and ostracized can relate to their plight. Hashtag relatable. Part of our fascination with witches is that they are the only female mythic figures with power. What about Medusa? She was like a, a priestess. Is that kind of, a kind of witch? Well, she could also turn men into stone. That was after she was cursed. Yeah, but it was power. I suppose a priestess and a witch are the same economic <laughs> puzzle piece. Hmm, interesting point. 
These are women who don't need to be rescued by a prince or a king, but instead can save themselves. Hell Some, yeah. Sometimes with the help of a sister. Hashtag feminism. They are fierce. They are wise and fearless women of courage. In short, they are everything little girls wish to grow up to become. And little Jamie's. I'd like that. Practical magic is the mythic reconfiguration of the journey most women must make, whether they are sisters, mothers, daughters, or aunts. Very nice. Nice excerpt from the author. Yeah. It's part of the intro she wrote to her special 25th anniversary edition of the book. Family. <laughs> Which I picked up today <laughs> because the way I uh, like relate to media that I like, whether it's, you know, in visual format or a book or something is I find something I like. I go in hard and don't research any more about it. And I usually end up finding out, oh, it's a whole fucking series. <laughs> or there's more. Have you heard of these things called books? <laughs> or there's more to these worlds. Like I did this with also the White Mountains book. I, oh, yeah. I've read that since I was like 12 and I reread it every once in a while. And then I recently somehow, I always find out tangentially about these things. And I found out that that's a whole series too and i always just thought it ended with that book but i never fucking bothered to research it oh man jack wait till she finds out that the lord of the rings is based on a book <laughs> i am led to believe that every movie at its core is about family seems like it or a lot of the ones that we watch so maybe it's a core theme in fantasy besides class struggle yeah it's the two most important parts of every piece of fiction is family and class struggle yeah. I think there's a potential that family is a core part of humanity. Whoa. I've never thought about that. So. <laughs> Whoa. I've never thought about that. That's uh, probably not right. Yeah. No. I don't know. So you guys are right. A core theme of this movie is about family and specifically about sisterhood. And the I even have that in my notes. The solidarity that that can bring. I mean, like we see in the movie and like the author talks about, everything isn't perfect. Like, they fight, they disagree, but they also have each other's backs and they come through in a pinch, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know the old saying, a sister will help you move, but a sister witch will help you move a body. <laughs> right. Just like what happens in this movie. That's where the saying comes from, this film. Yeah. And so they provide community for one another because they're ostracized by the wider community of Maria's Island, the fictional island off of Massachusetts where they live. And um, witches or magical users or people who live outside of the established norm in any way have experienced similar ostracization and ridicule. They're, they show in the movie that there are groups of people, especially when they're kids, like that will come around and just like openly mock them and throw stones at them and stuff like that. Right. Uh, witches are often ostracized for the crime of, let me just check my notes here, being different and helping people. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh and having power while not being a man. Right. Interesting. Right. Yeah, they seem to be hated and feared on the one level. But then people come to them when they need help with things that can't be done by conventional means. Yeah, less so in this 
setting, but I mean, not totally. They show untrue. an example of it when somebody really wants somebody that they love to want them back at the same. Ooh, in the same way. Yeah. Have you ever tried talking to him? What? That's crazy. Just charm him. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> what about the guy with the uh, who wanted the magical boner pills, though? You know, let's take that tangent. You know, love magic is often seen as a problematic thing. And something I've read recently is that Wiccans, from what I've read, are kind of moving more into advocating for if you want to perform love magic, focus on yourself and how you can make yourself more attractive in terms of attracting the right energy for you right. into not, your life. Yeah, it's not necessarily a physical attractiveness thing. It's but the element of attracting. Metaphysical attraction. Exactly. And so yeah. how you can work on yourself and be the happiest you can be, and that will kind of naturally attract the right elements in your life of, of other people. So we're saying reframing it to a little self-love magic. Yeah, Pretty much. It's like the it's like the classic phrase everyone knows: self love, not mind break. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Another well known and long established saying. Yeah. Self love, not mind control. Yeah. So that was a cool tangent, but um, <laughs> we a good one. Uh, I like this movie as a queer allegory. I think it's uh. Neat that way. A classic coming out story. Exactly. Coming out as witches. Vampires do it too. Yep. But it's kind of like they have magic in their blood. You know, it's part of who they are. And they're feared and hated for it because it makes them different from other people. It's a biological and psychological truth. Right. It is not a choice that they're making. Much like we see in the film where Sally kind of wants to repress her magical powers. Right. But in times of stress, she starts to manifest them. For example, when she's being questioned by Gary, she has a coffee and she's magically stirring it without touching the cup. Mm-hmm. Because just psychologically, she can't repress that side of herself. It's subconscious. As much as she tries. It's subconscious for her at that point. Her will just affects the world around her. She doesn't really have to try. And it seems like it perpetuates through the family line. Her daughters show signs of magical ability, too. Right. There's also the imagery of, like, the aunts. Now, I know that in the film they are biologically related. But, historically speaking, stories about, you know, sisters or good friends who are older women who live together, unmarried... Oh, they're old spinsters. Really? Or are they in a relationship? Exactly. <laughs> so I, so while the, the film and the book don't necessarily overtly address these themes, I feel like the patina of queerness fits over this film like a well-crafted pant. Yes, exactly. Well-tailored pant. I love well-tailored pants. Exactly. Who doesn't? And it's hard for me to find because I've got a badonk. <laughs> accurate statement yes i also thought that another reading of the aunt characters could be that they were in a relationship but that it would be unsafe for them in this small kind of traditional community 
to be overt about that. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, and so, like, these fears and prejudices can get passed on to the next generation. Like, Sally and Jillian, when they're growing up with the aunts, it shows that the other children of their generation are perpetuating this ostracization and ridicule of them by chanting at them and throwing rocks at them and stuff and kind of pushing them to the periphery. They're they're outsiders. And honestly, the kids on this island, not that creative. Witch, witch, you're a bitch? Come on. It's got a catchy ring to it. I'll give you that. But it's just not nice. It's not, it's not, it's downright hurtful. Witch, witch, you're a productive member of the community. <laughs> Much better. And we need your help. Yes. Um, <laughs> so later on, they repeat the same chant and they're bullying Sally's two daughters out in front of her shop when they come after school. Right. Their fellow classmates. So they're learning this chant from the people that were probably their parents. And so it's getting perpetuated like it does, unfortunately, in our lives, <clears throat> you know. Um, can you imagine the parents dropping their kids off at the first day of school and being like, oh, it's those kids. Hey, Timmy, call him a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, parents suck. (laughs) But this is how bigotry and prejudice persists. People are are taught. Right. The, The children of the town wouldn't have any real idea about the Owens women, they would be picking it up from their families. Yes. From their parents. Now, there is the chance that this movie is telling us to infer there is an instinctual knowledge that you're speaking to a magic user. Possibly. Because animals are sensitive to the witches. The horse recoils in fear from them when they cross the street. And several animals make noises and try to go for them or get away from them throughout the film as well. So humans could have that to a degree, just a nervousness around them. That's an interesting point. And I think kind of antithetical to a lot of other similar witch stories where witches tend to have like a... um, camaraderie with animals mm-hmm. i mean the the owenses have a cat who seems i mean first off it's a cat so awesome love it they have one black cat in the movie <laughs> in the novel they have like 17 to 20 cats oh that would have been so much better <laughs> hell yes I don't know why they cut that. That is honestly like I don't know anything about the book other than that fact right now. And the fact that they cut that from this film, I am now angry. (laughs) I want to see those cats. Me too. I want to see those cats. And another thing, the people and animals would not be afraid of the reason you hear that witches are associated with dark forces. They address that in this film. Someone mentions, I believe it's the cop. His name is, of course... Gary. Gary. The actor's name is Aiden. Yeah, that's it. I believe it's referenced when Gary is discussing with Sally about witchcraft. He is sort of asking clarification questions like, oh, isn't it associated with, like, the devil? And she's like, well, no, no. No devil is a part of it. It's not bad. 
it's just strong. So right. things that are frightened of witches, like animals and probably people, it, it's a result of their power, like we were saying. And I do think most of the discrimination comes from them being women with power. So possibly, like, the police horse is scared of them because the police officer who is riding the horse is scared of them, is what you're saying. And maybe the horse is picking up on his fear. Yeah. They probably have an aura of power and a social outcast status. There's another element to the film that we mentioned, but we can talk about in more detail. Let's do That it. supports the reading uh, of the film as queer allegory. And Ooh. that's when Sally comes out as a witch. Yeah. Yes. I love this scene. This is my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's yeah. fun. I'm, I might be um, preempting my epic moment or feature, but. So Sally gets chosen to be the like primary member of a phone tree that's used for emergencies. Chosen because her sister magically changes the name of the person who was selected by the committee. They say it's going to be the most responsible member but it's really the most popular one yeah when they elected sally it wasn't who most of the women wanted but the truth is the game was rigged from the start and it was the person that they needed yeah yes. so also sally's super responsible like yeah <laughs> i don't know why that wouldn't have shown through but you know people suck sometimes for much of her life she was trying to avoid using magic except in little ways and she's and a, a successful store you know business owner in the yeah, community bringing in valuable tax dollars yeah she makes and sells her own boner medicine <laughs> and other like things tinctures and shampoos and soaps and things like that essential oils yeah they're essential Exactly. That's right. You need them. And she makes a lot of money doing it. Apparently, they're expensive. <laughs> they yeah. Make sure to mention that. Bespoke uh, tinctures. Yeah. With all natural ingredients, there was an oatmeal mint shaving cream. <laughs> that's right. Her husband couldn't stop eating it. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like it would smell so good. <laughs> so, um, Guys, let's just open a, a tincture shop and, and uh, apothecary. Yeah. So when her sister Jillian becomes possessed by Jimmy's evil spirit, she they need the help of a coven, at least nine women, 12 is better. You know, magic stuff. So Sally's like, I'll activate the, the I almost said bone tree. The, <laughs> the, the bone tree. <laughs> the phone tree. And Is that like make out point? <laughs> the bone tree? Yeah. <laughs> she also calls some of her friends who actually work with her in her shop. Yeah, and she has two employees who super like Sally. So yeah. she's obviously a good boss. It seems like they're friends, too. Yeah. And uh, they're super excited. One of them is like, did you just hear Sally finally came out? And they're, they're super supportive of her. And they're just happy that she's being honest about who she is. So what you're saying is the years and years of abuse were simply the town trying a tough love approach. Well, no, those were <laughs> no. those were actually her friends that were acting that way. Okay. Yeah, but kind of all the women that they call act very similarly. Well, see, this is what's going on. So all of the women from the phone tree club 
show up, even the one who really hates Sally's guts. And she asks her, why did you come? I didn't actually expect to see you. And the woman says, well, ever since I was a kid, I've wanted to see inside your house. So even though they were taught to hate them, they all have a curiosity about their way of life and actually want to know more about them. That's true. But there's also another feature that I really caught on to with this that I enjoyed. And it's the fact that Sally frames this to the women on the phone tree as, oh, my sister was just in a really bad breakup. Yeah. And she needs our help. And she needs our help. And all the women are like, oh, well, fuck. We all know what a bad breakup is like. Even though we don't really like the Owenses or know them very well, we are willing to, like, go be a part of this recovery session, right? And I really enjoyed that. So, obviously, Sally is, like, a spin expert. (laughs) She knew how to spin this story. She's not wrong. She wasn't lying. (laughs) Their attention, like... She knows that they could relate to this story as women. Uh, Like, she found the common ground that they had. Exactly. And related to them in that way. And I thought that was great. Yeah. (laughs) And so they were all willing to come together in solidarity in a crisis based on that common experience they all have as being women. Very likely from shared trauma. Yeah. All having experienced toxic masculinity in one form or another, most likely. And this film shows that you don't have to have magical power to have power as a woman. Or to cast magic. Yeah. Or as a marginalized person. So like a witch or a queer person. You find your community, those who are willing to support you and lift you up and allow your voice to be heard and it will help make you stronger if you can build that community around yourself or become a member of it. Exactly. And I think that in the end, they show that if you can be true to yourself and who you are, you will find that while uh, some people might reject that, there are others who will be willing to be supportive of your choices. As long as they're not hurting others. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty nice message in the end. Yeah. So, this movie covers toxic masculinity as well, like we were talking about. More like radioactive masculinity when it comes to Jimmy. Yeah, it's mainly personified in Jimmy. And he's- A serial murderer. Yeah. We find out later, through the investigation Gary's conducting, but, you know, Jillian didn't know that. (laughs) I guess she didn't scry him. She just said he seemed strong. <laughs> well, she also rejected her magical past, so... Yes. And she also um, perpetuates a common but troubling pattern where she knows that Jimmy is dangerous. She literally drugs him constantly because he is physically capable of restraining her, and she knows that. She stays in the relationship because of a feeling of connection to him, but she uses Nightshade to basically, like, knock him out every night so that he doesn't abuse her. Well, 
that's true, but she stays with him partly through an attraction to him physically. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But beyond that, she says to Sally that it's because she thinks he's strong enough to withstand the curse. Right. But, but so she's getting in this really dangerous relationship to compensate for it, a family history of trauma. It's out of fear. And he is very toxic in the way that he seems very possessive of her. He won't allow her her own autonomy. Right. To the point where he barely even will let her go to the bathroom and have privacy. And she drugs him, she tells Sally, just so she can get some sleep. Right. Because he won't even let her have the privacy and autonomy to rest. <laughs> so it's like he wants to possess all of her time and energy. He wants to consume her whole. And we see him do that through the actual possession later in the film. Right. Where he wants to completely dominate her. Body and, and soul. And it's really that strong need is a form of weakness like, it's probably coming from a, a fear-based place on Jimmy's part because he doesn't trust that she will love him enough to want to stay with him if he doesn't act that way. Well, it's a deep-seated insecurity combined with the actual sociopathy of a serial killer. Right. That does confuse the messaging a little bit. Yeah, the fact that... I think that from a filmic standpoint... They probably made Jimmy a serial killer so that it wouldn't be as um, repugnant to the audience that the sisters murder him twice. But it does muddy the message a bit about the relationship. Well, the first time it was an accident. Sure. They were under duress. He was actively trying to kill Jillian. Right. And Sally had drugged his rum i think it was or whiskey because she was just trying to put him to sleep right. so they could get away she didn't measure it because she was under duress not really paying attention and she accidentally put too much in there and he i think his heart probably stopped probably then they resurrect him with dark necromancy and then they kill him again and then he's acting like a maniac so kind of like his normal self <laughs> and then um sally takes a. Uh, an iron skillet to his head a few times, and um, that was his second death. <laughs> An old standby. It's pretty visceral. They bury him in the backyard, but yeah. So, yeah, the possession is another form of messaging to show that even in death, he wouldn't let her go. It speaks to the pervasive psychological issues or trauma associated with being in a toxic relationship like that like it can stay with you even if you get out of that relationship and like it can cause ongoing anguish and strife but it's with the help of her family and her community that she's able to get through that right so that's a nice message i guess yeah <laughs> maybe don't murder people but well, yeah, but it's like if you just read it as like a toxic relationship. Sure. I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, I, I feel like they're using the language of cinema to be like, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't think they're literally supporting the acts that people are committing in the film. So this is like a form of love that we're talking about with the community and the sisterhood and the family and everything. So we see the type of love that you can have for a family member, and then we also see uh, romantic love 
in this movie. Yes, the two types of love. <laughs> no, but <laughs> the love between the two sisters is seen as like a strong, unbreakable bond. So even if there's a lot of time that goes by that they haven't seen one another and a lot of distance, physical distance between them, they can always come together and reform that bond and help one another in a time of crisis or need. Right. Like when um, Sally's first husband dies, Jillian uh, shows up and basically like cures her of her uh, sadness by just being there instantly. I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could tell that Sally was super depressed. She was laying in bed with like perfectly done up hair and makeup like like you do when you lose somebody very, very close to you. Mm hmm. You get up every morning, spend hours. Yeah, doing hair and makeup. Yeah. Crawl back in the bed. Just to lay there all day. Yeah. You become very strict with your children. Apparently, her children got over their father's death pretty fast. Yeah, too. they were ready for mom to bone down with Gary, like, instantly. I know. I was just like, what? <laughs> the fuck? They're like, he can make pancakes? Fuck dad. <laughs> It's like, did any of them love him at all? <laughs> <laughs> it was what I call movie love. Okay. Which is like, it, it's like, until the audience knows it's true love, it is very passing. I think they kept hearing the soundtrack when Gary was there. Oh, yeah. So they were like, oh, this is our dad. The other one was just our dad. Our, you know. Decoy. <laughs> our, Temporary our, father. Our gene funding. <laughs> Biological producer. <laughs> so when it comes to family and sisters, that kind of love is shown that it can help you overcome hardships that you might face in life, like being ostracized by the wider community or dealing with a toxic breakup or a loss of some kind. Right. And apparently can also lift curses. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all know that. <laughs> It's a curse on love, so love breaks the curse. Wait. <laughs> yeah, I found that ending to be a little unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Like, it had a... I guess it was through breaking Jimmy's hold on Jillian that the curse is broken for the whole family, but I just don't know if I find that to be a satisfying conclusion to the story, that, like, it just takes one relationship to... Break or fix it all. Well, maybe that makes sense. <laughs> it just, it's a little unclear at the end of the movie, like, why the curse is broken. Well, they use blood magic and the love they have for the each other. The purest form of magic. Right. And it's with the help of their community members who are there. So I guess it's through, like, finally realizing that family... That you're bond with others, with your community, really. It's not just family. Because yeah. it's not just that Jillian and Sally have this really strong and loving relationship. The Owens women are finally accepted by the community by expressing themselves to everyone around them. And, like, at the end of the movie, everybody's there for Halloween to, like, see them fly. So which what, is this rumor. What really happened in that moment by including... Their community members in the spell, in their lives, it healed an ancestral wound yes. that they had. So what you're saying is that socialism will undo all of the wounds that our current political and economic systems have caused us all. 
you know, that's a bit of a leap, but it's there. It was all about community. That's true. I actually thought that was a pretty clear reference when Gary opened his squad car and several copies of the Communist Manifesto slipped out. And he said, oops, I dropped this and bent over sexily to pick them up. <laughs> right. That was, I think, the most important scene in the whole film. That really was the the bow that tied it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cindy bit Cindy Sally Sally bites her lip and goes that's so fucking hot (laughs) I guess if this were a romance novel that would be that would be it (laughs) yeah are you gonna write the fanfic for that oh yes definitely (laughs) with Merlin the return also nice crossover yeah nice so I kind of think that like the romantic love we see in the movie is tumultuous, actually. For the most part, yes. Every single one. Well, Sally and her first husband have a really good relationship. But it, <laughs> it was, You wouldn't know it by how she reacts to the death. But. It was predicated based on a spell. That's fair. And it caused her a lot of anguish when she found that out. Yeah, well, you know, there's also a theme of, like, personal responsibility in this movie that that kind of underlies everything. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I think that those are two sides to the same coin because if, sh- if, if they're using magic to attract partners, it is not a pure and innocent attraction, right? It is, it is a form of manipulation. And they do problematize that in the movie. Yeah. And they say like, you could, since I did this magic unknowingly when I was young, like, and that's what attracted you here. She was talking that Sally was saying that to Gary. Like, you can't really ever trust me, I don't feel like. Right. And the aunts similarly, like when they realize what Sally and Jillian have done, they kind of say, you know, we love you guys, but you have to take responsibility for this. So we're going to leave. We're not going to fix this for you. Yes, we absolutely have the power to correct this, but you need to do it. If we do it for you, it's not really going to fix anything. They want to empower them to be able to clean up their own messes, basically. So responsibility and personal accountability are big themes in this. But they come back later in the movie, and when it's clear that they do need help, they jump in and help them. Of course. But it's after Sally and Jillian have taken some things on their in their own hands. They've made the attempt already. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not that the aunts are just like, leaving them to be completely fucked because community is still a big part of this. But you can be responsible to your community. And that's, I think, an important lesson that Sally and Jillian learn Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, and, and, you know, the coming out part of that is a big part of it too. By being truthful with the people in their lives, they are both taking personal responsibility, but also being concerned about the wider community that they have in their town. Yeah. In the end, it seems like Sally and Gary get together and he comes back after he concludes his investigation and basically says that Jimmy's death was accidental. Right. Beth just left unsolved. But before he returns, I kind of got the message that the movie's trying to say that the romantic love isn't the only kind of love or bond that you should 
think of as the most important in your life. Like you could have meaningful relationships with people in your family and with other members of your community and that you should look to find meaning from more relationships in your life than just that one. So that leads me to a question I want to ask you guys. I want to pose to you. Would the ending of this movie have been more satisfying if Gary and Sally didn't end up together? If Sally did not walk out from behind that copse of trees that she was hiding in (laughs) when Jimmy showed up on the other side of the property for some reason? Does, Does the need for a romantic relationship kind of soften or lessen the themes that we've built up in this film? Or does it work? The reason why I feel it's necessary in this film, where it isn't in every movie, is because the romance is the foundation of the plot, in my mind. Okay. The first thing we see is their ancestor in Salem in a conundrum. That's a good word for it. And then a witch burning conundrum. And then putting a curse on love. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. I see it. So naturally, the romantic ro- love. Romantic love. So naturally, the reward for getting rid of it would be romantic love, right? <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Okay. You can't have ice cream. Oh, but now I can. Better get some. <laughs> It seems like that is a big focus for both Jillian and Sally is finding a mate. <laughs> um, well, this is a movie in the 90s or just any time in American history. Yeah, since I haven't read the book yet, I kind of have to wonder if it's part of the movie tropes of the time and still persists in today where you... Like, have to be paired off. I mean, it's also a literary trope, but I'm also interested to know if that's in the book or not. I'll let you know. Another reason why I did find it satisfying is because the characters, and maybe it was just good acting, they really seemed to like each other a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They seemed compatible, which I liked. Well, the whole point of it, right? Well, I keep saying that, but... They're literally each other's dream person, right? Yeah. There is magic involved. It's kind of implied that they could be soulmates, I think, because they both say that they wished for each other. Okay. Well, and you try to find a role where Sandy's not killing it. Come on. Yeah. And it was something that happened because of magic, but there is the theme of loving again, right? It's like that chair woman said. Do you believe in life after love? (laughs) And then there's love too. Love seat. That's when there are two chairs together. Wow. I thought you were going to say love too, electric boogaloo. Oh, well. (laughs) Well, it could be electric chair, but that's not quite as romantic. (laughs) Uh, I, I see Jack's point. But I feel like what might have been interesting is more like they show Sally sharing a letter she got from Gary with her sister Jillian in near the end. Right. Where he's because there's a lot of like letter writing in the movie. Yeah. Um, 
Very and writing heavy film and reading of those letters aloud. So um, they could have incorporated this pretty seamlessly, and she could have told her that he's talking about like how he still thinks about her and he wants to try again. Right. And them talking about it and like them kind of talking over her feelings together and like showing that bond as being strong, still strong. And like her talking about how she wants to take time, but like she's interested in potentially giving it a shot and like mentioning that she's probably going to write back to him. So, you know, like something could get started and they leave it kind of open to your imagination. Right. But that it shows like she wants to take that time to really heal from her husband's death and spend that time to bond with her daughters and her family again. I think that could have been a stronger message to really hammer home the idea that these familial bonds and being true to yourself are the important messages. Yeah, I can see that too. But I could really see either way. I, I get Jack's point. Sometimes love is a good reward. And I think this movie from the get-go was telling us that that was going to be the case. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is not a movie to subvert your expectations, really. It's a beautiful, trashy rom-com. Mm -hmm. Not not really rom-com, a, a, a romedy. <laughs> no, wait. A rom-drom? <laughs> no, rom I mean, it's a, con it's, very, it's a very funny film. Is it? I guess so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, it's, it's got that uh, magical realism humor, right? Where just the way people react to things is humorous. Yeah. Or at least for me it was. Like, it's true. Like I said, using the phone tree to call all these parents, all these mothers, and they're just like, oh, like Sally's coming out. Or, and, and, and inviting them to join a coven to do a spell. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, oh, she was in a bad relationship. Like, of course we're going to help. Like, I, I mean, it's it's like wholesome humor, I think. Yeah. For the most part. Mm-hmm. It's quirky. And, you know, like, it's so funny where it's like, oh, we totally murdered this guy twice. <laughs> you know, good, wholesome humor. Oh, boy. All right. Well, I think we've given this one a thorough once over, twice over, three times over. Twice over. Just like they did with good old Jimmy. <laughs> yep. The old twice over. So why don't we head into the spooky smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, since this is one of your favorite movies, do you want to give us your epic moment or feature and then a rating from one to ten silver stars? I do. So my epic feature is kind of like the aunts and their house and everything about their lifestyle <laughs> the, the aesthetic of the film yeah i guess so like the aunts are fucking amazing and that partly has to do with the two amazing actors that play them but i love how the aunts accept who they are and are fully actualized they are comfortable in their own power and position. Even if they are ostracized by the wider community, they 
feel good about themselves and they don't let others' opinions of them change that. And they enjoy their lives, you know? They do they live what, moss. They find what feels good, as Adrian would say. Adrian, yoga with Adrian. And they they do what makes them happy, you know? They're not hurting anybody else, really. Not and, like the not like uh, Jillian and and uh, Sally do. Yeah, and that we know of. They uh, they just want to get the most out of their lives, and they want the freedom to be who they are. Um, and I really like that, and I love their Victorian house and their yard and all of the animals, and it's great. Hashtag life goals. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna give this movie. A nine out of ten wow. silver stars. It's a great film. It's not perfect. And it's probably a higher rating than I should give it, but I just love it so much. This is a completely subjective forging system. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love all the relationships between all of them. I think it's a shining part of the film for me and why I keep coming back to it. I just want to live in that house and on that island in that town and it would be great. (laughs) So yeah, I just think they do a good job. The music kind of brings you out of it a little bit sometimes. It's like Disney-fied, but... Yeah, it's a um, bit jaunty. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It works in some scenarios but like it's kind of asynchronous with what's happening in the narrative sometimes anyhow i think it's just fun and so i wanted to give it a high rating so that's fair all right jack how about you do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then your rating from one to ten silver stars all right i'll probably do an epic moment it's a cheesy one too epically cheesy Gary has revealed to Sally, I read your letter probably like a thousand times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I thought it was really beautiful in describing me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A little egocentric. I get it. Well, it fits him pretty perfect. And he's like, I didn't come out here just for the murder investigation. I came out here to see you. Bit creepy, but you know, it's a love movie, so it it, it turns out in his favor. It's, Creepiness is okay in a lo- Wait a minute. It's framed as romantic. <laughs> That's the thing about the line between creepy and romance. It all depends on how the person receives it. <laughs> You're not entirely In a lot wrong. of movies and in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, in life, that can happen. Yeah. I'm not saying that's healthy culturally. Right. But that is is something about our romance system. You know what? In this film, it is consensual. I'm just saying obsession is something that it on a Venn diagram overlaps in romance and creepiness. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, it's romantic in this. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I came out here to see you. And she's like, oh, fuck. I cast a spell. That's why you're like this. We can't be together. We'll never know. And he's very sort of understanding of that. And he's going away. But he doesn't feel like he gave it his all. He turns around. He says, you know, I wished for you too. Right? I thought that was really cute. There's the consent part. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I thought that was really great. It's a very cheesy scene. Yeah. But But it's, it's sweet. Yeah, it's really nice. 
I just like that a lot. Also, it's a like he is a pretty stereotypically tough masculine dude, and that's like a sensitive moment of his, which I thought was really sweet. I liked seeing that side of him a lot. Yeah. And so I thought that was good. And he seems to really like Sally's kids, too. Mm-hmm. It's true. He fits in really nicely. I think there's a real chemistry between the characters. But uh, that taken into account, along with several other factors, let me get it out there. I'm going to give this movie an 8 out of 10 stars. Wow. Nice. I'm going to give it 8 out of 10. I think the way they handle the relationships is really cool. Like... Sally and Jillian also, they don't always agree on each other's lifestyles, but they don't ridicule, ridicule each other over it. In fact, when a scenario comes up where they could be like, hey, this isn't a good thing you're doing, they only offer support instead, which seemed very healthy. Like, Sally helped Jillian in a lot of uncomfortable situations that most people would not agree to. Right. They were only helpful even when it was a situation they didn't approve of, which was very cool. I liked the romance. I liked the messages. It made me feel good to watch it. This is the second time I've seen it. I still like it a lot, and I already want to watch it again. Nice. Always a good sign. Yeah. And uh, the only reason I give it one point lower is because... Some of the abusive scenes are very uncomfortable and they last a while just to drive in that it's a bad situation, right? Yeah. So it's sort of like, oh, geez, it's just uncomfortable. But the movie as a whole, very enjoyable. I'm I'm happy to watch this yearly. Eight out of ten. Very nice. What about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment and or feature and rating out of ten? Yeah. Tell us, Jamie. Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yes. I'm pretty sure I already played my hand, but my epic moment is the phone tree. Coming in. Chekhov phone tree. They introduced it (laughs) earlier in the movie. You know it's got to pay off at the end when Sally calls all the local moms from the PTA. Yeah. Gathers them to be her coven because they're the only people that she has contact information for. <laughs> and her employees. And her employees, yes. <laughs> employees and the other mothers from the PTA. Brings them all together to cast a magic spell to banish the evil Jimmy spirit. Yeah. I just really like this scene. I don't know. I like a coming together scene. I like the fact that the other mothers are like, hey, we've all been in like bad relationships. We know what this is like. We can be supportive of somebody that we don't know very well. Maybe in the past we've had not the nicest things to say about them, but they're reaching out to us. And maybe this is the time to give them a chance. I appreciated that. I thought it was a nice moment. I got a lot of good laughs out of watching them show up with their like modern brooms and vacuum cleaners and stuff. And just like being really happy and being really supportive of each other and showing a lot of community after years of hard feelings. Yeah. I feel like that is something I've seen happen in my own life where somebody I might not have gotten along with, we find something that we can agree on and suddenly we're like buds. And I thought that was very believable. And I loved it. 
And that's my favorite scene. And you can't change my mind. Okay. As far as the rating, I think I'm going to give this movie 7 out of 10 silver stars. I really enjoy it. I could probably rewatch it in the near future. It's not one I'd probably jump right back into. There's some fun moments. There's also some slow bar, uh, parts. There's some troubling parts. The um, murder as a comedic moment, I think in another movie could work, but in this one it feels a little bit like it stands out for being a little off-putting. Some of the melodrama is a little much for me. The relationship with Gary I find to be pretty forced, and I probably could have done without it. I think it would have, for me personally, been a more satisfying conclusion if it was more about Jillian and Sally in the end, rather than the need to validate Sally's loss through a new relationship. But it's to be expected in a movie, especially from the time this is from, and again, basically throughout the history of American filmmaking. But I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed watching it. It's a heartwarming movie, and I definitely could watch an entire film that is just the aunts and the sisters just kind of going about doing their things, seeing Sally like do, doing customer service with, with people who are not getting exactly how to use their boner medications. <laughs> yeah. And seeing the aunts like get ready for like a Halloween celebration, I could watch that all day and I'd be super into it. So, seven out of 10, I think it's a solid rating for a movie that I enjoyed quite a bit. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's all we can ask for in life. Yeah. The ON Justice. Yeah. But I mean, if I can't have that, I'll take a pretty good movie. Mm hmm. I'll take entertainment. I feel like sometimes that's all I can get. Yeah. The drug of the masses. The camera is the eye of God. Wow. But I think that pretty much does it for another episode of Swords and Satire and our first episode of Scares and Satire for 2021. Yay! One of the scariest years of all time. I mean, ah! Boo! Ha <laughs> Gotcha! <laughs> Whoa, I scared myself! Ooh, sorry for that jump scare, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, if you're new to the show and you enjoyed it, or if you're a dyed-in-the-wool swords and satire fan and you're not following us on social media yet, maybe consider jumping on to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, going to search for at swords and satire, and joining our community. You can check out all the memes that we post. You can catch up on what movies and shows we're going to be watching in the future. And you can even send us messages and start a conversation with us. I'll talk. I'll talk for hours, as you can probably tell. <laughs> yeah. And if you are a supporter of the show or a new fan and you have the means, you can support us on patreon.com slash swords and satire. And check out the different tiers we offer, and each tier gains access to exclusive art like we mentioned earlier. And uh, you also get to vote on one of the movies we watch each month, so that's fun. What could be better than voting on movies? It's true, but if you don't have a few extra bucks to send to your favorite podcasters, 
I know not everyone out there has a phone tree list of contacts, but everyone does need a group of support. And what better way to find support than to share what you care about with the people you care about? So share one of your favorite podcasts, Swords and Satire, with your friends and family, and you'll all have a great time laughing at poop jokes together. (laughs) You may even find true love. Not guaranteed. (laughs) Well, until next time, Hail Hail Crom! Crom!